Welcome, welcome to episode two of the All Music is Good podcast, a show that attempts to take an in-depth look at five new music releases and offer some opinions about what we liked and didn't like about each one. This week we have reviews and new music from Leanne La Harvest, The Streets, Dinner Party, The Bess and Little Sims' new album. I'd like to kick off the show by welcoming a man that burst out of the gates last week with a diss on my album name pronunciations and then proceeded to make countless factual errors throughout the episode himself. It's a very warm hello to my co-host and now arch enemy, Arik Bloom. Hi, Arik. Hey, Waza. How are you going? Better than you, maybe? Potentially, potentially. It's been a big week, but uh, yeah, it's good to be back on uh, on episode two. Um, apologies to our four... Instagram followers um, from last week, we did rattle on a little bit. So we have, uh, we've taken stock this week and we have tightened the ship. We've had a, quite a few meetings um, to ensure a user, a best user experience and we're raring to go with, this, uh, with these five new releases. Well, if you're not going to make an apology, I will. I will own the fact that I said that Home is Where the Hatred was written by Betty Wright, when, of course, we all know I meant to say Essa Phillips. Names have never been my strong point. Um, one thing I'm learning about podcasting straight away is that you don't try bullshit. I think we could uh, both take a lesson from that. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. All right, can I start this week by posing you a question? What go for it? What is your definition of an album? And before you answer that, the reason I'm asking is that we have two releases this week that aren't what you'd traditionally consider to be an album slash LP. Um, the lines are really starting to become blurred, and uh, yeah, what's your take? Well, I think, um, well, I guess you know, traditionally an album was a side A and a side B, and uh, and within that. You know, the way the album got constructed was it was really, there was a flow that was split up into two parts. So I think in the kind of modern era where less people are necessarily listening to an album for the first time on vinyl, um, yeah, it becomes quite a quite an interesting conundrum. Um, this week, I, you know, basically, we're, I guess we're looking at this week's releases in particular. We've got a six track kind of, sorry, a five track mini album um, I kind of see an album or I guess, you know, how we are going to kind of look at these things as like a body of work. So provided that a, you know, the recorded product is kind of cohesive and sort of moving as like an overall release, then, I, then I'm happy to call a five track uh, release an album, even though traditionally it'd be called an EP. What do you reckon was? Um, I think you can make arguments both ways. Um, when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, I don't think it really matters. Uh, for me, an album is, has traditionally a beginning, a middle and an end. Uh, it should take yep. you on a journey if you can achieve that in less songs, and so be it. Uh, the way, I think the main way we consume music these days is digitally, so we don't sort of pay that set fee that you used to for an album or a CD. So mm, true. when you think about it from that point of view it doesn't really matter uh i'm sure there's heaps of rules around how albums need to be a certain length for charting and mechanical purposes 
but you know, for me, as I said, if it's if it's good as it is, then that's fine. But I'm sure we'll revisit this at some stage down the track. I think so. I think uh, this could be certainly, you know, on top of um, you know our our checkered history of um, rejection, and that's really my own baggage yeah. to work through. This might be something that we kind of pick up in in the weeks to follow. I don't think there's any doubt we will be having this conversation again. All right, so. On that note, maybe we should get into the first album of the week. Sure. So this is hot off the press. This, I believe, I mean, we're in Australia, so we got this yesterday, I believe. Is that right, Was? Yep. Came out tomorrow, yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. So we are going to be reviewing Leanne Le Havas's new record, which is a self-titled ab- album. Um, just a little bit of information about Leanne Le Havas. She's London-born. Her 2012 album is your love big enough shot her to attention being nominated for bbc's sound of 2012 poll her follow-up album blood was nominated for a grammy in the best urban contemporary category um which is you know we could talk about that as a category as well but we might move on um and she holds in uh in close company, Prince, who is a apparently a dear friend and also a big fan, um, so much so that in 2014, Prince played a gig in her living room. So, I don't know if it, we wow. can find any of that online, but um, but I bet uh, that would have been something to uh, be privileged enough to bear witness to. Amazing. So let's kick it off. Um, the way we're doing this is we're basically nominating our, our favourite tracks. Um, we, te- we tend to nominate two tracks that are, are real standouts. There's a little bit of flex there, um, but let's get right into it. So um, for me, this album was a brilliant, brilliant release. i, I got to say, um, I'm a big fan of Leanne Le Havis. I got right into her actually being introduced to her through her So Far Sounds London performance from, I believe it was 2016. I'll have to double check. Um, she's a, a virtuoso in so much as an absolute gun guitar player, amazing vocalist, and really sort of straddles that amazing middle ground between sort of jazz and pop. Um, you know, potentially people might kind of, if they're trying to pigeonhole her, they might put her in this kind of adult contemporary zone, but I've Personally, I feel as though that's a really, really kind of whatever type categorization. What do you reckon was? Look, like a lot of people, um, I was introduced to, to Leander Harvest through the excellent NPR series, Tiny Desk. So yep. her, her three-song set was amazing, her voice equally so. Uh, there's, a, there's a line that I was drawn to in the comments section when that first came out in 2016, and... The comment was that Leanne's voice is like a smile after an unexpected compliment. And I thought, Oof. that was so... What a perfect description. Yeah, totally. That, um, that, is, that is so true. I, I think there's something about the way she sings that um, is in, incredibly comforting and you do feel at peace. She, sta- um, she starts singing yeah. and you have that moment where you pause and it registers and it's like, this is amazing. Uh, the the way she weaves melody over like a minimal instrumental palette is just awesome. Uh, mm, the mm. album sounds like someone who's on top of her game to me and knows she knows exactly what she's doing. But can we talk about the production for a second? Like totally for sure. nailed it. 
nailed it. It sounds like like she's whispering the lyrics in your ear and then the band is sort of set up in my lounge room just playing. It's warm, it's lush, it's got all those bases covered. The foundations that the drums set is the key for me. Like that drum sound is super heavy. And if I could get drums to sound like that, I'd be a very happy man. Yeah, totally. Well, I think that's a nice segue to kind of deep dive into some of the tracks because I will touch on a few of the things um, that you've mentioned. So I might, I have broken the rules again. Um, I've got four (laughs) that I'm going to talk about, but I will nominate my two favorite. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt like from the get go, Bittersweet just got me straight in. It was just this brilliant introduction and invitation into her world yes um the thing i loved about it is she kind of it was almost like a bit of an ode to some of her past work and knowing her pedigree and how insanely talented she is with melody there's no way that she'd be repeating motifs from her previous stuff without doing so consciously Mm -hmm. and she kind of kicks things off with bittersweet with these phrases that like basically take you back to her huge single unstoppable yes and listening to it i was like yep that's uh that's 100 percent a conscious move that's not not just leanne lahavis just kind of like flowing there is a reason why this is starting the track it kind of just rejigs your memory about that brilliant song from her last album um i love how for me that that song I love how her vocals just keep building as that song goes along. Like they just keep getting mm-hmm. higher and higher and they just become more emotive as that song goes along. Absolutely. Next up for me, um, another kind of standout track was Green Papaya. I felt that the guitar playing had that amazing, like the Havis finger style that kind of makes you ask, how the hell can she sing and flow over such a complex guitar part? And that, again, it took me back to that, that um, So Far Sounds performance from 2016. Yep. But the standouts for me were Paper Thin. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, this track was hands down my favorite of the album. It had this incredible groove. And just like you said, was in relation to the production, I absolutely loved how dry the vocal is. And as you said, it's like you're in the room with her and the band is just right there with you. Yes. Um, and, you know, lyrically, she, you know, there's just one line that she says, paper thin, you understand the pain I'm in. And you, you feel it, like you, you feel what she's singing. And, you know, without, you know, a stack of reverb and a stack of processing, it is Leanne Le Havas on a, on a great microphone with a wonderful voice. Mm. And paper thin for me was the absolute standout. It's almost like she's singing you a sweet lullaby, singing you to sleep. Totally, totally. And, you know, the, the band, you know, it sounded like we had a drummer and a bass player and that was it, right? There was, was there a keys player in there? Could you hear a keys player? No, I don't think so. Yeah, it was just a three-piece and it just it was just amazing. Um, the second track for me, and I think it's no surprise, I, I can't imagine anyone would not be listing this as their uh, second track Second favourite track on the record was uh, the cover of Weird Fishes yeah, by Radiohead. You were Instagramming about this today. <laughs> I did, I did. I got on the front foot and posted that on Instagram today because I was incredibly excited. Um, the uh, the metaphor I, I I went I used was that uh, it's like Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo 
playing on the same team, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, something we've all been waiting for. Who knows if it's going to happen? Let's keep an eye on the transfer market. But let's get back to Weird Fishers. Um, for me, that was a recipe for success. Um, you know, if, if, you're, if you're a fan of Radiohead, when you hear that sort of double time drum and bass kind of shuffle on that intro with the drum break, you're like, yep, I know this is Weird Fishers. And in a stroke of total wonderment and genius, Leanna Harvest goes, here it is, here's that drum break for like two bars. And and it's 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 so brilliantly constructed that it almost literally sounds like the drum break from was it in Rainbows um is it in Rainbows, the Radiohead album? In Rainbows. Yeah, it sound it sounds like the drum break from Weird Fishes off In Rainbows. And then suddenly the drums drop to half time. And that to me felt like this real statement that the Unlock Harvest were saying, okay, cool. I nod my cap to the amazing work of Radiohead and now I'm going to make this my own. I'm not just going to make this an ode to Radiohead. And it's a bold move and I loved it. Um, I was like, is this Weird Fishes? And then suddenly it's half time, and then those chords just kind of start to go and I'm like, yes, 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 it is Weird Fishes. And I just thought that was super clever. And the other half of singing Tom York Melodies, look, I, I don't think you can go too wrong there. So those for me were my two standouts. What about you, Was? Well, look, I'm obviously going to say Weird Fishes as well. But I, I need to put an adjunct in here. I need to tell a quick story about Radiohead. That's a big word. Adjunct, that's, that's right. big word. <laughs> uh, so I, I was on board Radiohead from... Right from Pablo Honey, the Benz, Paranoid Android, Kid A, Amnesic. We got to Hail to the Thief. I was I was even way into Hail to the Thief. And they were also a band that I'd seen live and it was quite clearly the best gig I have ever been to. It was an outlier on my layers of gigs. So I don't think about that gig because it was so far ahead of every other gig I've ever seen that I just don't think about it. But it was clearly the best gig I've ever been to. So, What, what year was that? that? Uh, what year was that? I, I can't remember what year it was, but it was the year where he cancelled the second show at the Tennis Centre and he only did the first one, but everyone got pissed off because the first gig was actually the second lot of tickets. So, okay. Um, anyway, and his voice was going, so they had to cancel the second night. But it was, oh, my God, it was amazing. Anyway, so my point being that at that stage of my life, I decided that, I don't Radiohead owe me nothing anymore. They they've done okay. everything that they needed to do in my life and I'm just going to put that to bed. So when In Rainbows came out, I decided I wasn't going to listen to it and I still have a listen to it because I thought oh my well, God. Well, they they owe me nothing these guys. They're just amazing. So I'll move on to the Weird Fishes. So I'm listening yeah, to yeah, this yeah. song Weird Fishes by Leona Harvest and it comes out and I was thinking Wow, this has got a real Radiohead vibe to it, this song. Like, it's got that sort of bombastic middle section and the killer build-up and the drum and and guitar sort of middle bit where it's sort of breaking down. Oh, my God, this could be a Radiohead song. This is really cool. And then (laughs) I went, I just sort of doing some searching on Leanna Harvest and they started talking about the cover. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's a Radiohead cover. Anyway, so that is my... Radiohead, Leon Harvest, weird. You, you were basically so, busted, so you had to come clean. 
I, I so that to me that is the original as far as I know. So I'm really interested. I'll, maybe I'll have a listen to In Rainbows at some stage. I still don't think I'm ready for it, but um, that is a beautiful song. Um, and it's I, I love that song. I thought what she did to it was amazing. Um, the mm. other song that <laughs> I had was Can't Fight, uh, which was sort of like a you know mid-tempo groove in the middle of the album. Um, mm-hmm. It just felt like a warm hug. And I loved mm-hmm. it. I, I love this album, Eric. Um, let's do a rating, I think. What do you think? Okay. So I think oof, it's always hard to do this because, you know, the number really sometimes, sometimes there are songs on an album which are just enough to make you go, I'm just going to listen to this from beginning to end, even though it's not necessarily, you know, bananas from beginning to end. So for me, I would probably put this in a seven category. Um, I loved the songs. I loved what Liana Lahavas was saying. Um, for me, in terms of, I, I, I think I'm probably predisposed to kind of wanting some more concepts in records these days, mm-hmm. particularly because we're looking at the album form. Um, so I reckon it, I reckon it's a, it's a hearty seven. What about you, Was? Look, I actually have got an eight out of ten written down here, but my issues with the album was that sometimes the flow was a bit same-samey as we went along tempo-wise, and that's always sort of a bit of a... Um, it's a real it's a real sticking point for Waza. He <laughs> likes he well, likes really diverse tempos. <laughs> I like a beginning, a middle, and an end. I want a journey. So, yep, yep, I I, you, but I, I did you. write eight out of ten. But I think I'm going to revise that down to a seven point five. But it was a, it's a great album, and I, you know I can see myself listening to this lots, especially late at night. Yeah, and I'd say I'd also say it's an album that if you haven't gone into the Anna Harvest's world, just start here. You know. Yep. Or I'd, I'd definitely, obviously, check out the Tiny Desk NPR one as well. So far, sounds by the sounds of it for you as well. Yeah, totally, totally. All right, so we've got what we've got a seven, seven from my end, and a seven point five from a seven point five from Moza's end. All right, sounds good. Let's move on to the next album. All right, so we're doing the Beths. Was do you want to give us a little bit of um, backstory on the Beths? Absolutely. Okay, so the Beths, uh, a New Zealand Auckland-based group. Uh, they met at the University of Auckland studying jazz, uh, formed in early 2015, releasing their first single, uh, Idea Intent by SoundCloud. In July of that year and in March 2016, the band independently released their debut EP, Warm Blood. The EP spawned a single, Whatever, which was released with an accompanying music video in May 2016. And uh, the new single, Great No One, was released in October 2017. Uh, which was lifted from the band's debut album, Future Me Hates Me. Uh, prior to the album's release in 2018, the band announced their signing to Car Park Records in the US, uh, who also reissued Warm Blood and to Due Process in Australia. Uh, the new release, Jump Rope Gazer, is their second LP. Arik, what do you got on this album? Okay, all right. I've got a lot to say about this album. Okay, we'll stop there. I'm going to start. Th- <laughs> all right, you... you- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you start, you start. Because I probably don't have as much. All right, so the album blasts out of the gates with two absolute classic examples of what I would consider to be well-crafted indie power pop. Guitars and vocals blasting up in the mix and all happiness and sh- sunshine. Having lived through the indie pop of the 90s, like I feel like I've got a reasonable handle on what um, what was great about that scene and what constitutes a good example of it being done well. 
like during that time, like I, I personally had a total obsession with Juliana Hartfield, uh, which I've never really quite come to terms with. Um, I still think she's awesome. Uh, this album certainly ticks a lot of boxes um, for the stuff I love and the stuff I loved about her. I'm really secretly quite happy that this scene is making somewhat of a comeback. Uh, maybe it's been making a comeback for a while and I just haven't noticed it and I've just been out of it. But um, I love this kind of music. Uh, I really got into the indie artist Jay Som last year, um, the San Francisco-based uh, bedroom producer, and that was had that really sort of indie sort of pop style as well, which I really loved. Um, but I digress. Like, the Beths have all elements covered here, you know, the two guitar attack, melodic bass lines, the melancholy but summery vibes, good songwriting, sweet harmonies. I can really see why this band are getting a big bit of hype at the moment. Uh, if I'm looking for holes, maybe I could say that, you know, compared to a great pavement or Lemonheads album, the the mix could be slightly better. But, you know, that's that's being super picky. It's really good. Um, as a body, of, as a body of work, it stands up really great as an album. Uh, I love double tracked vocals. You know the early Cat Power stuff, Julianne Hatfield again. Sounds really good. In reality, there's some really great playing across this whole album. Uh, interplay between instruments is awesome. Um, Elizabeth Stokes' vocals are all filter. Uh, or there's no filter on her vocals, I should say. Um, uh, you know, it's not music that's being made by numbers. You can connect you know, with her neurosis, I think, and um, yep, which totally. we all feel at various times. I really dug this album, and um, I just I thought it was great. So I'll, I will allow you to go now. Okay, so we're going to go on a little bit of a journey through the Melbourne 90s suburban studio scene. Oh, we're on the because same page, f- aren't we? I, I feel that that's really relevant um, when... I'm going to talk about the Beths. So, Waza sent me this record. I'd never heard of the Beths. I had done zero research. I just chucked it on. It's Saturday. It's cold. And I was like, wow, this is great. So, the first song, I think it was actually the first track. Was it I'm Not um, I'm not Getting Excited? That Was that the first track I of the so. album? I think so, yeah. So, I'm Not Getting Excited comes on and I basically just grinned from ear to ear and I was like all right here we go right girl city I'm so into this and the first thing I did because I just listened to I think I just listened to Leon the Harvest which is like a really sort of commercial release the album comes on I'm like fuck this is so soft and I just started cranking the volume on my speaker and then I was like "Whoa, whoa, whoa hold on a minute this is what the 90s sounded like. Yes. So for me, it was like my first, the first thing that I noticed was like, I love the mastering of this record. Mm-hmm. It's soft and it's not like smashing you with no, it's not over high frequency and smashing you with bottom end. What was that word? It's not super compressed. It's just instrumental. It's not, no, it was just really, it was really open and, and it just immediately threw me back to being 14 years old in Melbourne. So in the 90s, there was a scene in Melbourne, um, I think we're, uh, we're going back to like 1995, and there was this night in Melbourne. Uh, so it wasn't a night, it was an afternoon. It was a Saturday <laughs> afternoon regular gig at Central Club, which is no longer a venue, um, where young young rascals like myself would, you know, roll in with, you know, dyed blue hair or whatever, and we'd listen to like, you know, what was 
kind of like the hottest music coming up in the city at the time. Mm. Um, it's sort of oh, well for me. I, I was introduced to this band, Caustic Soda, uh, which which they ends up being Blue Line Medic ah, yeah, later yeah. down the track. Um, and immediately it just threw me to the EP that I bought as a as a little pup um, at at Central Club listening to Caustic Soda, and then also something for Kate's like early early stuff before they became megastars. Well, I mean, I think it's a bit more poppy than that, but you know, something like Jebediah or Pollyanna, especially, you know that. Yeah, real, yeah, 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 totally, feel totally. Good power pop. So, uh, yes, yeah, so as I kind of progressed through the album, I was like, man. This is reminding me of like suburban studios where there was no like digital recording gear. And then I just went to this rabbit hole for about an hour trying to find the studio that it reminded me of. And I found it. I actually, I sent a message to, a, to an old friend of mine, Alex Gianfredo. Um, who played in a band called Dynamo and the Hornosexuals, oh. and we, uh, who then became Dynamo. And um, a bit band. of context is my my high school band came uh, well came third in a battle of the bands. Dynamo came second, and some other sort of metal band came first. But I was like, uh, my band recorded at this suburban studio, and I'm sure Alex's band also recorded in that in that same studio. So I I texted him, and I was like. Alex, what was that studio in Hawthorne oh, Atlantis, that was run it? that was run by a guy named Dave? And he got straight back to me and he's like, Atlantis Sound. Yeah. And I was like, Yes, that is exactly the studio. And it was run by a guy named David McClooney. Now, that's a really, really long kind of bow to draw to this record. But it has this thing which is like alter tape, super lo-fi, but not in that sort of hipster kind of no. let's make it lo-fi way. It's lo- It's just lo-fi. It's, it's you know, it, it, it's instruments getting recorded exactly how they're played and it's entirely indie. And again, without the kind of bells and whistles of like a sort of pitchfork indie, if you know what I mean. Very Kiwi. Very Kiwi, very Kiwi. So my overall take is what an awesome suburban recording studio release. And I might dive into my two favourites and then I'll throw over to you, Was Do it. So for me, Do You Want Me Now was just an absolutely beautiful song. It had, like, it had this jangly guitar vibe that kind of harked to like Warpaint for me, which is a really kind of cool band at the moment. It felt very Triple R ready, so I'm sure the folks at Triple R are going to get right behind this. <laughs> yeah. um, the songwriting was beautiful, the chord progression was just unreal, and the lyrics were, were beautiful. So, Do You Want Me, standout track on the Beth's record. Um, the next bit, and again, this sort of threw me into the world of. Um, of that sort of, you know, suburban friends making records kind of vibe was out of sight. And it just, to me, doubled down in that, in that sort of production aesthetic. And there was this stick roll thing going on. And you're listening to it and I was like, yes. You just get that feeling that it was one of those moments where a band's in the studio and the drummer's gone, hey, what do you think of like chucking this stick roll bit in? And then everyone's like, yeah, let's put the stick roll bit in. And it, it like it's quite jarring, but it also feels like it's a really cool band decision to have made. Mm-hmm. So those for me were the two standouts. What about you, Was? Um, look, I agree with everything you said. Like growing up, 
in Melbourne in the, the mid-90s, you know, there was a very strong power pop scene. And it was great. Yes. It, was, it was lovely. It was just... It, this album was... Ooh, was love, very, lovely. Lovely. Uh, a, that's a, maybe that's a, not There's lovely. a lot in that word. It, it, this album was very nostalgic for me, as it was for you, by yep. the sounds of it. Yeah. It reminded me of driving down to the beach, you know, on uni holidays where we used to have five months off from October to March. It was just crazy. Yeah. Uh, I, my my favourite track was You Are a Beam of Light, which was the second last track on the album. And it had mm. really sort of Dolores O'Riordan vibes for the Cranberries with Linga. Uh, it was just it was okay. very sweet. Um, it it just made me feel really good and, you know, like I was 19 again. I, I loved it. And my other favourite song was Dying to Believe, which was track two. And as I said in my intro to this album, you know, the, the first track hit and then you're going, oh, this is, this is good. I'm, I'm liking this, and mm-hmm. the, as you did. Mm-hmm. And then the second track just nailed it home. And I'm just like, I'm here for this album. I'm, I'm just yep. taking it all the way. I know this is going to be good. These guys know what they're doing. They've got the yep. sound. They've nailed it. It's going to be great. And it was. It was a great album. What are you giving it out of 10? Well, look, for me, um, I, I'm not necessarily – I'm not an indie sort of pop guy. Um, is this what this, this podcast is about? In, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, for me, look, I, I loved it. I felt it, from an album point of view, I was there from beginning to end. I didn't feel like there was a... Um, didn't I didn't dip, feel did like it? there was a dip. No, didn't. Um, it, it just kind of felt really, really good from beginning to end. It felt cohesive. It felt like it was saying something. And I absolutely loved it. Um, so for me, I'm going to give it... A nine out of ten. What about you, Was? Wow, I'm going. Jeez, uh, it feels weird to give Leandra have a seven and then someone <laughs> Kiwi Van out of all but, got a but, nine. But but, I, but don't you reckon? You know that, that that's kind of you know that's 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 where we're at. You know, we're talking albums and we're really kind of interrogating how people approach things and potentially. Albums that are kind of coming at it from a more indie aesthetic without the pressures of major label. This has got to be a single. This has got to be a this. Yes. This has got to be a that. Maybe it, maybe it does trumpet. What do you reckon? I think, you know, it's we judge things differently on reputation as well, I think, sometimes. But look, like you, I knew nothing about these guys. I just read an article in the paper about them the other day. I thought, oh, you know, they had some good things to say. Let's check it out. I reckon I'm going to go with, as you said, there was no dips. So... And it made me feel something. I'm going to go 8 out of 10. All right. We got a 9 and an 8 out of 10. A good start. So that's great. So this is probably a good opportunity to take pause and go to, I guess, a moment of gratitude to the people and friends who make what we do possible each week we shout out an unofficial partner for the All Music Is Good dot 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 podcast, and this week we'd like to extend our deepest gratitude to High Claw. High Claw is a chem- chemical company who specialise in spa treatment and spa chemicals. The context of this is as the dark cloud of COVID nineteen started to emerge. I got this text message from Waza. Actually, it was a phone call from Waza uh, 
where I heard this really calming body of water in the background and he basically <laughs> told me that he'd just panic bought a inflatable spa jacuzzi to get him through COVID. And rather than being particularly thrown by that fact, I immediately jumped online and also panic bought a inflatable spa jacuzzi. And since then, that has more or less been both of our life forces as we sort of navigate this new world of global pandemic. And in order to preserve the hygiene and and comfort of a 40 degree spa jacuzzi in your backyard you need to tend to it with a bevy of chemicals and i would just like to thank high claw chlorine booster high claw ph increaser high claw ph decreaser and high claw bromine something something and also the high claor um uh what are they called? Um, I don't chlorinator think, strips? I don't, what are they? Are the the ones? Yeah, the, the, the pH strips. And I don't think the, you should forget the uh, cyanuric acid stabiliser either. And the cyanuric acid stabiliser. So to give our listeners a, a deeper understanding of um, this incredibly dark art of spa preservation, I might throw to Was, who can probably explain further. Was? <laughs> I don't think there's anything left to say. I think we all know, as you said, that the best way to navigate COVID-19 is at 40 degrees. Yes. Thank you, Highclaw. Thank you, Highclaw. Thank you, Highclaw. Thank you, Highclaw, for helping us realise this podcast. I'm just going to quickly update our listeners as some incredibly critical information around the Melbourne suburban recording studio scene from the mid-90s has come through from a dear friend of mine, Danny Hill. So Danny Hill also recorded at Atlantis and also had his music recorded by Dave McClooney, who is fast becoming a cult figure of this indie rock time in the mid-90s. Danny just wanted to share that his band from the I guess it was the early 2000s, The Incredible Dead Goons recorded at Atlantis and it was on Auburn Road in Hawthorne. And then for those that care to follow this one up a little bit further, this studio moved to Port Melbourne and then Danny also recorded in Port Melbourne. He recorded a, uh, I guess, a post-punk record by the band Trainwreck and then Dave moved to Sunshine (laughs) <laughs> of which apparently he's still operating this studio in Sunshine. For those that want to follow this one a little bit deeper, there's a Neve console there and some great outboard gear. So thank you, Danny Hill, for just keeping us in the loop in regards to this uh, historical Melbourne establishment. I'm going to move into Little Sims. Waza, you got something? Oh, well, I, I think it's only fair to say that you're not the preeminent only preeminent expert on Atlanta Studios. Uh, All in, right, in, go for it. Please room. share. Well, I, I've recorded there a couple of times, and I think it must have been with Dave. I can't actually remember. Probably doesn't have as um, strong Dave, memories for me. Dave rolled cigarettes. I remember as a young, I was 14 years old, and I was like, I'd never seen someone roll cigarettes before, and he rolled cigarettes, and he smoked them next to the console. Oh, wow, you were at the Central Club and hanging out at Atlantis. What a childhood. Um, I actually think that Jonathan Burnside might have moved in to the studio after Dave had left. I seem to recall him 
sort of having a heap of analog gear in there. I know a few people who recorded there at the time. So it might not have been Atlantis, but I really think it was. And um, obviously Jonathan Burns side of Sleepy Jackson fame and a whole bunch of other stuff as well. Um, but I digress, as you were. Tell us about Little Sims. Okay, Little Sims. So a little bit of background around the artist Little Sims. Um, Little Sims born Simbi Ajikawa and performing under the moniker Little Sims is a rapper from Islington, London. This EP, Drop 6, is a follow-up from 2019's Grey Area, which was nominated for the Mercury Prize and as well follows up the amazing record Stillness in Wonderland from 2017. Little Sims describes her music as rap and experimental and... I think this is a really good uh, launching pad to get down into Drop 6 because that this record really captures those two styles. I kind of feel like to talk about this this record, uh, it's a five-track EP. Well, it's a five-track release, which we are deeming an album, and we, we can review this uh, if we are inundated with um, scandalised listeners. This record feels to me like the most appropriate follow-up to Grey Area. If you look back at Little Sims' past work, and, and in particular Stillness in Wonderland, Stillness in Wonderland had this incredibly high-produced, sort of trappy grime thing going on, quite electronic heaps of vocal layering and it was it was unbelievable trap hats if you haven't heard it sorry trap hats trap hats apps yeah trap hats up the wazoo it is an apps it's like it's like an academy of trap hats if if you want to get your head around trap hats go and listen to that record it is stillness in wonderland it's unbelievable and then little sims does this amazing thing on gray area where she strips it all back and suddenly we have these live instruments. And for me, that album is best defined by track two, Boss, which if you haven't heard it, go and listen to it, add it to every single playlist you have. You will feel infinitely cooler in life if you have this on in your headphones. It is one of the meanest, toughest tracks I've ever heard and it feels as though Little Sims has kind of captured the energy off Boss from Grey Area and launched into Drop 6 with that same aesthetic of kick, snare, rim shot with the first track, Might Bang, Might Not. And for me, that was probably the standout track. I just loved the rawness. I loved how tough it was and it entirely encapsulated everything I liked from Grey Area, but also moving her into a new space. So none, sorry, Might Bang Might Not, the standout for me. Track two that really just caught my attention was You Should Call Mum. The beat just bounces so heavily. Now, I should admit that I am possibly one of the more underwhelming dancers one might come across. Mm-hmm. I, I concur. I loved, uh, yep, was a seen it. I love to dance, but I'm not particularly memorable 
and it doesn't really sort of um, etch into anyone's <laughs> Saturday night highlight reel. Let's just say that. <laughs> However, I am certainly confident when I'm dancing sort of on my own in a chair and it sort of it gives me this sort of ability to uh, loosen my hips and and really sort of express myself. Anyways, why I cite this is that You Should Call Mum does the thing that just makes you want to dance and shake and boogie, even if you suck at dancing. There's a beat in there that is so infectious, you cannot not move. You Should Call Mum, track two, easily. So the second, my second highlight track, absolutely loved it. The beat itself, the tempo just sets up so perfectly for Little Sims's flow. And the lyrics for me really encapsulate the feeling of, I guess, what so many people are living through. And I've quoted some of the lyrics here. If this is 2020, there is no hindsight. How many naps can I take? How many songs can I write? And I feel that that really captures this kind of uncertainty that we're living in, that sort of conflict between doing something and pursuing something new or something creative and just napping and chilling because who knows when we're going to have this opportunity again to really just take a step back. Yeah. So those are my two standouts. What about you, Was? Well, I sort of feel a bit of a disadvantage on this one. Um, I'm coming from a long way back. Up until today, I hadn't listened to any Little Sims before. Um, but to hark back to the intro... Um, of the uh, the podcast today, like technically, this is not really an album, is it? It's your classic EP. It is your classic EP. So maybe we should be saying, you know, we will be reviewing albums and EPs. But you know, yeah, whatever. I think I think so. I think that's something that we can take to the board. But I mean, the, the great thing about an EP was always, you know, why put ten songs on when four of them are shit? You can just have five really good songs. And so that an EP was was an awesome thing. Just five solid tracks. Um, and gave you a really taste of of what you're getting into. Um, 100%. Yeah, I'm really really feeling the 90s vibes this week with a few of these releases, and this one in particular had a really healthy dose of early trip-hop going on for me. Um, It's like down-tempo jungle, 90s hip-hop drums with like a tricky-esque side of vocal delivery at times. Yes, yes. You hear that? Totally, totally. I mean, I think that shows up in a, in a few things that we're going to look at later as well. Um, I mean, that whole trip hop genre, like a uh, genre we were talking about last week, I can't even remember what it was, but that was also bastardized and corporatized. But you know, initially that whole Bristol scene of the early nineties was was really progressive and fresh, and I I get that attitude and coolness shining through on this release. Um, I'd wager. A lot of money that there's been a heap of grain consumed in the making of this album, Mark. What do you reckon? Yeah, I would say, I would say it's um, <laughs> it definitely feels that way. Heaps of super heavy bass grooves, um, some really great, as you said, it's some great flow from uh, Little Sims. You know, she delivers her lines with confidence, and like I, I was a believer by the time that I've got through five tracks of this, and I put it on repeat, and I repeated it again. Um, the songs themselves, you know, instrumentally wise, there's not anything groundbreaking going on here, I don't think. But 
what is delivered works perfectly with her voice and a real atmosphere is created. So I really like this album a lot, Arik. I'm kind of disappointed that there wasn't more songs to listen to. Um, maybe a great album was in the offing here and there's been a missed opportunity. Um, from a song point of view, <laughs> it's quite funny. We seem to be picking completely different songs today apart from the Radiohead cover. Um, track three, Damn Right, had a real Coma Karma vibe going on for me. It was really hypnotic. Um I'm sort of sitting on a couch in a club, you know, at three in the morning, a bit wasted, and I really liked it. It was, it was great. And yep. how could I go past the most awesomely titled Where's My Lighter? I mean... <laughs> was that the fifth track? That, that's the last track. If for nothing else, the title of the song, I was I was in on that. I, I thought all five tracks were really solid, um, mm-hmm. and I could have easily picked any one of them for this one. Uh I'm happy to leave it at that and go for the rating. All right, let's do it. So in the spirit of... Unless you want to discuss anything else about it. Oh, well, look, I do have a couple of things um, before we move on. I, you know, I'm, I'd just like to get your take on this, actually, because I'm, I'm, I'm not really a lyric guy. I, I resonate Me either. Far, far more with the beat. But there's yeah. something about Little Sims music where I'm able to connect with the lyrics immediately. And I... I'm just kind of interested to ask you and potentially it might be like a, I don't know, it might be a thing of the country we live in or the accents that we're used to. But UK hip hop for me, I always just, I I, I link into the words way quicker. Is that Uh, happened to you? Yeah, the enunciation is so much more clearer than US based hip hop. I mean, you you can understand everything that they're saying. Like it's, it's, it's the language. Yeah, that's right. It's, um... It's a real thing, but you know, it certainly it certainly um, highlights our our colonial past. <laughs> potentially, we we're so um, we're so used to that kind of English accent that immediately we can we can understand the words. I mean, rather than I don't know, call what it, do you reckon? Right? rather than call it UK hip hop, maybe they should call it enunciated hip hop. Enunciated hip hop. Maybe let's let's stay with that. Enunciated hip hop. So, Little Sims may well be the flag bearer of enunciated hip hop. Um, and, and we do hope very dearly that, um, the Grammys can potentially tap into this podcast and include enunciated hip hop in their, <laughs> in their categorization <laughs> alongside urban contemporary. Absolutely. I, I, look, I would get you to go back and maybe have a listen to some, some early tricky albums or maybe some baby Namboos or, or something from that sort of Bristol scene. Um, and see if you can, you know, hear that connection because it's really strong for me. Yeah, for sure. There, there's definitely a thing going on there. So I'm going to give this a score. Um, look, I think overall, it the like, as a piece of work, part of me is like, is are these outtakes from Grey Area? Yeah. Or is this like a brand new sort of release that's kind of been put together? To, I guess, just harness the current day and energy. And I kind of feel that it's a bit from column A and a bit from column B. Mm. Um, So I'm a huge fan of Little Sims and I would have scored Grey Area 10. I would have scored Stillness in Wonderland 10. This for me is brilliant. It doesn't smash as hard as her past two releases. So I'm going to give it a... A generous 
7.5 spoonfuls of uh, pH <laughs> increaser. Well, uh, it sounds like I really need to go back and listen to some of the uh, earlier albums on that recommendation. I will... If if this album had been longer, I would have given it a higher mark. And there I've just gone back and said, we don't care whether it's an EP or an album, but I've just gone against what I've said earlier. But for, from a rankings point of view, um, I would have given it up more if, it, if there had been a couple more songs. I am going to give this a solid 6.5 out of 10 on the bromine indicator scale. 6.5 and 7.5 for Little Sims Drop 6. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Dinner Party. Uh, it's the new collab from uh, Terrace Martin, Ninth, Window, Ninth Wonder, Kamazi Washington and Robert Glasper. Look, there's not too much that needs to be said about the colour of, color of people involved with this project. If you don't know these guys, it's probably best to just Google them. But for people who dig the jazz meets hip-hop future soul scene, these guys sit at the top of the tree. And I think the last album they probably collaborated on was the Kendrick Lamar classic to Pimp a Butterfly. Uh, from what I can see, Ninth Wonder sets up the beats on this and I think he sent them to the other three who will just collaborate on and, and come up with the song forms. So straight off the bat, can we agree, Eric, that this is total make-out, baby-making music? 100%. It's one of those records that you want to put on to set the tone for your new online dating date. <laughs> it could be like, you know, the theme song to to the Tinder app, really, couldn't it? It it could be. I think I think I think hinge hinge more so, you know, it's hinge. it's a bit, you know, t- Tinder's a bit more Bruno Mars. Hinge uh, yeah. is a bit more um, yeah, yeah. highbrow. But anyways, we digress. Yes, absolutely baby-making baby, baby making music. Terrace Martin's vocal is next level. Um, yep. I do have some doubts around how I'm pronouncing his name. <laughs> Therese. I'm, call, I'm calling him Terrace or Therese or Therese Martin. <sighs> but broadly... You know, I know this is right down your lane, was you know, Glasper, Kamazi, Washington. Let's get into it. Okay, so look, as as you would know, I'm a big Glasper fan. You know, he's putting down those nasty chords all over the place, and it's taken me straight to the ballpark that I like. That first track. What what, what is that ballpark? It's it is. Where is it? I don't know. It's probably, where where it's probably, is it? It's probably somewhere downtown Brooklyn, I would say. Fenway okay. Park, maybe. I don't know. Um, okay. That first track drops with a lazy groove. Like there's that there's that sample quality to Kamazi Washington, uh, Kamazi Washington's horns, and it just takes you to that place. Like it's like a summer's night, or it's you know drinking whiskey at four in the morning or you know i to, to me it's got that montage vibe to it so it's it's the montage for my perfect night out where just three minutes of this song just playing over me taking on the town <laughs> hanging out with friends you know strutting eating food. 
Strut- just strutting. Good music. Like, it's just like a montage. Of, it just goes 10, 10 p.m., 11 p.m., 12 p.m. It's like it's a bit swingers. It's 4, p, 4 a.m. in the morning and I'm sort of, you know, I'm having late night food with the with a, a nice group of people. And it's, <laughs> this, it's just trailing off with Kamasi Washington swans. Maybe that won't happen. But, like, I could see that being the montage to my perfect night out, this song. Anyway, so that's the first song. But then... So that song, it, quickly, just to double check, is called. You look that, that up. Song? Yeah, Summer Day. What, 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 what track was that? Oh, it's track one. It's the first track. Ah, uh, yes, Sleepless Nights. Sleepless Nights. Summer Day. Yes. Sleepless Nights. Yeah. Um, gotcha. So you know that's great, and then it heads a bit into a safer territory with a bit of a chill out vibe over hip-hop beats for track two and it sort of continues in that vein um and it sort of sits comfortably for a lot of this album in that neo-soul meets hip-hop meets european take on the genre um a bit jazzamataz um look it's it's a record that you'd have no problem dropping on your turntable or driving to if you weren't in a rush and you could enjoy it yep. Uh, but as an album, there's sort of not really a middle or an end. So in that mm. sense, it's not a great album for me, but uh, it, it takes too long to get back to those vocal tracks at the end, which are also great, I think. But, and at least it's an emotive response, as I said from the first track. And that's mm. a lot more than most albums do. So I could really, quite, and you know, I could quite happily listen to Glass, but just, you know, vamp away on chords all day of truth be known like there's that track i think it's track four where there's like a 10 second bit of of him just playing you know those, that those first, awesome first chords. responders track. i can't remember what it is but it's you just it's like oh my god how do you play those things it's amazing um the influence of his music on me has been really substantial but the flip yep. side to that comment is that the bar's set pretty high when it comes mm. to projects he's involved in the songs that I liked if we're picking two songs. I'm just going to pick three uh, because they were all the vocal tracks um, and they seem to be a bit more original. So Sleepless Nights, Freeze Tag was the second last track which had a bit of an Odyssey mm. vibe to it. And, totally. And Love You, uh, the the last track. I loved all those vocal tracks. I, I wish they were all vocal tracks on this album. I think it would have brought a bit more pep to the project. Uh, what did you recommend? Look, I um I kind of agree. Anything that sort of Robert Glasper does, you know, and also Kamazi Washington, you sort of you you really expect something that's kind of going to break some ground. The thing is, though, the other thing that you sort of come to realize, and this is this is really from like a kind of Instagram generation kind of thing, is you know, particularly Glasper, he's a fun guy. You know, he, he enjoys life, at least from what I can say online. So it's not all heavy jazz and, you know, dark no. virtuosity, you know? He, What's well, fusion? He's, he's a fusion fun. dude. You know, he, he does pop, he does whatever. Like, he, he just likes to play. You get that vibe. So I, I think, you know, he, he doesn't pigeonhole himself. Yeah, and I think this record sort of sits in that sort of place where this is just a this is a cool, fun project. It's not a cool, fun, simple project by any means. It's still, you know, brilliantly constructed. But I sort of agree with you in relation to like a one to seven. There were seven tracks on this release. A one to seven kind of journey. I listened to this three times to really just see if I could hook into it. Yep. And I 
unfortunately couldn't hook in. There was something yeah. missing for me. I agree. That 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 sort of created levels of detachment, which is a which is a bummer. But I, you know, let's be honest. I don't think Robert Glasper or Kamazi Washington are going to give any shits about what we think about their music. Look, However, it, it felt like a fun project, uh, didn't it? It's a fun project. It's a cool, you know, it's a cool project. Um, I probably had a couple of tracks. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go. Yeah. No, so for me, the two standouts were From My Heart and My Soul. I was track three. I just loved that song. And Freeze Tag as well. And, and I, you know, there was just those, those two for me just really sort of hit the mark. There was, you know, really great songwriting going on terrace martin's vocal was really in on those two songs and and i really sort of felt like a song factor that uh, i didn't necessarily feel across the entire release yes it was more vibe music than uh than songs themselves and i think that was pretty clear i mean you know there's a lot to like about it but it's not breaking any ground is it no i but but i you also kind of wonder whether the intention was to break ground as well. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. musicians just need to get in the studio and just, you know, do something, yeah, get something point. out, express themselves. It's, there might be a new relationship, an old relationship, and the time is right. So for me, yeah, that's that totally shows up. Yep. Okay, so what are we giving it? I think, again, these musicians are cursed by their past work. Yeah. I think if this was a... A, a group of you know young upstarts would be scoring it a bit higher. Yeah, great. So totally. let's let's use the um, the Robert Glasper Kamazi Washington Terrace Martin standardization. Yes, and and with that in mind, well, it's probably a one. I then, would. Is it? So <laughs> I, I would I would probably give it a five out of ten, given the potential of this collaboration. I think. Solely due to the fact that I could be using that opening track on the montage of my life, I probably need to give it a little bit higher. Maybe a okay. five point of a five point five. I think I'm going to go five five point five from was that is five point five spoons of pH increaser in your outdoor inflatable hot tub to help you through COVID nineteen. Are you looking at your cyanuric acid levels at the moment on your pool? What 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 colour are you getting I am, on that? Well, look, to be honest, um, if if it is of interest to anyone out there, we're actually going to be um, draining draining the hot tub in the next seven days, most likely. We've just actually put an order on four new filters as uh, <laughs> there has been some issues around all sorts of water hygiene. Yes. So, <laughs> shared house, we, water, we, shared house, water hygiene issues. Water hygiene issues. So we are we are going to be uh, actually draining the draining the tub mm-hmm. and uh, and resetting with uh, some new filters and some uh, you know acutely balanced chemicals to course, get so us through the months of oh. August and September. So thanks. Again, Highclaw, and thank you for checking in, Was I, I do appreciate it. Well, I, I probably need to get a bit of a line on those filters too. I might be uh, giving you a call after this. Uh, Please. The last album for the week, proudly brought to you by Highclaw Quality Chlorination, is 
the Streets album, None of Us Are Getting Out of Here Alive. Um, look, I think we all know who these guys are. The Streets is an English rap music project led by uh, vocalist and multi-instrumentalist Mike Skinner. Had a heap of albums out in the early 2000s and basically called it a day in 2010, 2011. Basically, that. basically saying that, you know, he just run out of steam on it and he should have called it a day sooner. And, and, he, right. and he did also say that he'd only reactivate it if he was 40 and broke. So the band did reform for some gigs in uh, 17 and they did a bunch of live shows that were really well received and inspired him to sort of move forward with it again, not for the 40 and broke reasons, but just because he wanted to. Uh, okay. So, look, I, I don't think you can listen to the streets without mentioning their debut masterpiece, original apartment yeah. material. You listen to the streets, like down your aerial. Oh, my God, what an album. Look, for mm, anyone who listened mm. to music in 2002, they would really remember how that album seemed to come out of nowhere and was such a massive breath of fresh air. Like, it made zero sense. It shouldn't have worked, but for some reason it totally did. It was it was yep. awesome. Like, the way I thought about that album was kind of like that you're at the pub and all your mates were drunk and one of your mates decided he was just going to get up on the mic and start spitting rhymes. And you go, start no, don't rapping. do that, don't do that. And then he gets up don't and you're like, that. oh, my God, you're amazing. And then you're all just <laughs> jumping around having a good time. Yeah. And it's just, it's just awesome because... It just came out of nowhere, and now, but now it's like twenty years later. And instead of like mm. your young mate at the pub, it's like your old weird uncle is doing yeah. it. <laughs> so yeah, as, yeah, yeah, yeah. As much as I wanted to like this, I found this really hard to get into, and I really mm. tried hard to like this album. Um, the optimism, the hustle, the fun, everything that helped make his earlier work sound so fresh is just a little bit slightly off on this album, and it only takes it to be slightly off for it not to work. It just doesn't have that playfulness. Mm. Maybe it would have worked better if the strongs, if the songs had been stronger, but they're not, I think. And it means that the lyrics don't really have that foundation to sit on. Yeah. Um, I I found this... Re I was... Look, when, when you have such a strong affinity with an uh, album that played such a really um, important part of your life at a certain time, which original pirate material did. I loved it. It was so good that, mm -hmm. you know, revisiting him 20 years later was really difficult. And I actually found I couldn't actually make it all the way through the album, if truth be told, um, which is disappointing. But, you know, that's was what it is. I, was so, I, that, that's, that's, you know, we, we got we to go all the way through here. <laughs> what you thought was the last track your favorite track? Is that what you're going to tell me? No, look, the last track was not my favourite track, but I did listen to it, and it and it you know it was a nice full stop. Look, we're getting nice songs like stop. we're getting songs like the poison, the poison I take, hoping you will suffer. I mean, is there positivity and fun? I mean, it's I don't know. It, he's somewhere that I'm not. I, uh, I'm going to throw it to you. What did you reckon? Look, you know, I think you've hit on a few really important points here. Um, I'd like to have a little chat about some of the kind of themes that show up in there yes. to just get your take and then I'll get into sort of my track for track review. Mm. But he does certainly lean on phone culture a lot. Yeah. Like that lyric and that concept kind of shows up all throughout the record. 
and it has that feeling of like for me I'm like yeah cool yep yep you're talking about people looking at their phones and yes that's current and you know you're really you're really trying to kind of nail this kind of 2020 sort of thing but it did feel really forced to me and I was Mm. like there's more there's more stuff going on around the world man like it's not, well, it's that's, not just that, about that's people looking down at their phones, even though that is a thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there was that line about the kidney, giving someone the kidney. There was some really yeah, uh, there was some weird something stuff. going on with the kidneys. Uh, sorry. That's true. That's true. Look, I also was a big fan of the streets, um, you know, and it did have that sort of kind of lad vibe to it where... It was fun and it was playful and 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 hard hitting as well. There was one song by the Streets. I don't remember the name of it, but it had this great hook. I think it was called "Dry Your Eyes." Um, one of the most beautiful love songs I've ever heard. "Dry Your Eyes" hmm. from. Let's have a look at the record. Oops, I'm playing it now. I'm just having a look at what year, what record that was off. I think it was off the the second one that was really popular. Uh, what um, was that? Hundred thousand. What was it called? Uh, uh, a grand don't come for free. Yeah, yeah, grand don't come. Two thousand four. Yep. Dry your eyes. So you know, again, this is this is a songwriter that we should really have very high expectations of, and I think overall, from as an album, it didn't tell the story, and I think that was my expectation coming in. I have a few tracks that I might get into and then I might throw back to you, Oz. Um, track one for me just was really flatlined. I was like, mm, nah, yeah, I'm not here. Not I'm not good. here for it. Yep. But then the none, of this, n- none of us are getting out of this alive. Yes. I really enjoyed that song. I felt the beat was really heavy. It, it felt really current on a lyrical level mm-hmm. and I loved the overt repetition of the lyric and I, fe- I felt that from a from a point of like trying to make the statement that the lyric was making it it really hit home and and felt like a really good representation of the zeitgeist that we are kind of going through the next song that really stuck out for me was eskimo ice and um for me i just loved the beat i felt like i was in a dark corner of a club and it and it really reminded me of the thing that i loved about the streets and for me, uh, when that song came on, I was like, okay, here we go, we're on. And when you, when we look at the kind of context of an album, it felt like a really well-positioned album track. I'm just going back through my notes to see. Yeah, we're talking track six and it's like the perfect track six for me. I, I thought it was really well-positioned and it really sort of gave the album, you know, a new lease of life. The thing that I picked up about Eskimo Ice, which I think is something that's really relevant potentially to sort of like music production and beat production in particular in the time that we live is Mm. that there's a, you know, we're living in a time of the kind of one chord SoundCloud beat sort of generation. Yep. And, and and it's a cool thing. I think it, you know, it's really, it's, it's It's a thing. It's enabling people to just go, look, if it, if the tempo is right, if it feels good, if there's, a bunch of cool sounds in there. Yeah. It's done and it's a beat. And I think Eskimo Ice really sort of set this great template of this is how you do a one chord SoundCloud beat like a boss. And 
to me felt like a real masterclass in how to do that the right way. The so next you, track that I I really so enjoyed was is "Take Me As I Am." Um, I'm just having a look. What track was that? "Take Me As I Am" was oh, it was in the last track. There you go. You didn't get there, did you, Was? I didn't. Okay. Well, you missed out because "Take Me As I Am" was like straight drum and bass, heavy, super old school. Oh. There was this kind of weird hook going on was... with some auto tune, which I wasn't quite sure about. That's what I but wanted. But I thought it was a one. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was weird. It was weird but good. Um, and for me, that was a really nice way to close the album. So the two standouts for me are None of, none of Us Are Getting Out of Here Alive and Eskimo Ice and a kind of runner-up prize to Take Me As I Am. Well, I'm going to agree with you on track two, None of Us Get Out of Here Alive, because when I did get through the Tame Impala track one, um, yeah. which felt what like a bit of a cliche. I didn't know. It didn't feel like it needed that needed to happen. Um, and then we were in and I was thinking, yeah, okay, I'm I'm starting to buy in and then it just went. That was it. That was the highlight. Yeah. Um, I struggled with this. Uh, I don't really think it's fair that I give this a rating, Eric. Okay. I, because I didn't listen to the whole thing. So I think it okay. technically disqualifies me from giving it a rating. But what I'll do is I'm going to say I'm going to give it a disappointed out of 10. Okay, a disappointed out of 10. So we are in week two and Mutiny <laughs> has infiltrated the ranks of this podcast. Because I, would, I wouldn't call it Mutiny. I, I think when we decided to do this podcast, we were going to review albums that we mm. thought we would like. Not not yes. any sort of album that we weren't keen to listen to. It was just sort of something That's that, true. you know, music that interests us and we wanted to listen to. So it's not a mutiny. It's just I was disappointed with it. Yep, no, I get that. That's 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 legit. Look, all music is I good. Think... All music is good, but I just was disappointed. Yeah, for sure. All music is good, except sometimes it's good and disappointing, and I think that's <laughs> and you've hit the nail on the head here. Um, look, if you're a streets fan, you're gonna you're gonna be really really happy to be hearing that that sort of that drawl and that you know amazing signature sound of the vocalist. Mm. Unfortunately, there you know that style and that sort of laddie sort of rap is. It's now it's you know he cut he paved the way for artists that are doing that at a really high level artists like King Cruel for example so I think I'm going to agree with you here was I think as an album a bit of a bummer um, there's some really good moments uh, there's some good nostalgic moments if you're a Streets fan and there's some really good sort of entry points into the Streets if that's your vibe. But I, I'm going to give it a number. I'm going to give it a three out of ten, Ooh. and 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 say again that it's a three if the streets didn't have this amazing body of work behind them. So I think nah. so. So often you approach an album because you're a fan of of past work, so that can sometimes skew the level of expectation. Objectively, if this was the first Streets record, maybe a five. But 
three given the the past output? I think as a rule, we should never finish this podcast on an album like this again. It's making me That's finish. true. It's a real downer. <laughs> it's a downer. It is a huge downer. We're going to have to go and drink some wine now and just bring myself back up to... To a, to a happy place, which I'm not at right now, Eric. Let's let's get this uh, right next week. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll um we'll certainly uh, tighten up the way this gets delivered. But look, enough about enough about our uh, our media skills. You have been listening to all music is good. Dot dot dot. Please follow. Please go and listen to these records from top to tail. Let's honour that album format or that you know broad release from beginning to end format and and really pay homage and respect and love to artists that are putting themselves on the line to put out work that's not just ear candy but is trying to say something and address something in this crazy world that we live in here here, eric i think that's a good sentiment and on that note i think we will sign off for this week uh, thank you once again to our unofficial podcast sponsors, High Claw, for your all your chlorinated spa and pool needs. Uh, and I'd like to say thanks very much for Arik for joining me this week. Had fun. Looking forward to next week. Thank you, Waza. And we will see you next week with five more new releases. And um, yeah, thank you again. Have a good night. Till then, see you next week. <laughs>